0: It's 2021 and we are back with a brand new episode of Generation 911. On this episode, we welcome the newly elected President and Vice President of the Police Officers Association of Connecticut, or POACT as we'll often refer to it in the episode. POACT is seeking to better educate and inform leaders all across the NETMEG state and regulators and decision makers in the state capital of Hartford. Officer Florencio Cotto of the New Haven Police Department and Vice President Sergeant Chris Engstrand of the Stanford Police Department joined us to talk about their careers, what policing is like in 2021, and the latest on the newly enacted Police Accountability Act in Connecticut. Here's Florencio and Chris. All right. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourselves uh, and what you are currently doing with the department's uh, in which you serve. So, Florencio, how about you first?
1: Sure. So, uh, I'm a police officer in New Haven. I've uh, been in. A, I'm in. I'm in my fifteenth year of service. Um, I've been the president for the past two years, um, and uh, we've been uh, we've been we've been very busy in our city. Uh, you know, a lot of changes within, you know, with state uh, mandates and uh, laws and things of that nature. So it's been, uh, it's been, a, it's been a bumpy but uh, enjoyable ride and hope to uh, continue the journey with uh, my fellow members and, and including police officers within the state as well.
2: Chris? Uh, yeah, I've been uh, with the Stanford Police Department since 1997, so I'm in my 23rd year uh, almost 24, I've been the president of the Stanford Police Association for the last, uh, I'm in my fifth year uh, since 2016. Uh, it's definitely been a uh, interesting five year run um, from the beginning where we had a whole lot of community support and and all the things we did and community interaction to where we are today has, has been a long road and a very different road. So we definitely have trying times ahead. And on top of dealing all that, and I know Florencio and other departments deal with the same, trying to settle contracts at the same time has been very interesting. Um, Our last contract took us five and a half years to settle, and we've now been out of that deal for almost two years. Wow. So on top of doing all that kind of stuff, it's it's definitely a long road for all of us.
0: Aside from the administrative stuff on the union side, what would you guys say is both the hardest thing about being a police officer, as well as the most important aspect of being a police officer. All right,
2: that Chris. <laughs> That's a good one. The hardest, the hardest thing I think is understanding they have to look at everything from multiple points of view and multiple walks of life. So you have to understand that you are gonna make mistakes. It doesn't mean you are technically wrong, but you have to be able to put a whole lot of stuff in a basket and make the right choice all the time. So I think that's the a very difficult thing and you don't have much time to make those decisions often. So you have to always be aware of, of, of what's going on and how quick you have to make a decision and all the things that go into it. So th- I think that's the most difficult. And what was the second part?
0: What's the most important aspect of like the day-to-day part of being a cop?
2: Judgment. And that you're constantly <coughs> under the microscope, and that everything you do, say, act is—it's it, all on your judgment. And and every you have to realize that you're always on camera, so to speak, and understand that your actions affect others in different ways than and may appear to you.
0: Especially in the 2020s, you are abs- always on—you ab- are always on camera.
2: Absolutely, and it's you know it's it's a big microscope. It's something we quote sign up for, and I get it um but we are human as well
0: florencia
1: i think it's a great question um to kind of piggyback off what uh, chris said you know judgment Judgment's huge in our profession i think our profession is the only one that everyone uh has a comment on right everyone knows how they can do it um everyone can chime in and say that well this is how i would have done it but that's our, that's the only profession at least in my view that gets that type of scrutiny right um, you know we all make mistakes right we're all human right the men and women that serve their communities right such as new haven and stanford you know do we make mistakes sure the only difference is that when we do make mistakes it's lambasted over media and and it's and it's, and it's published and scrutinized to no end um and let, let's be frank here right you know um police officers at least you know from from when i got on the job and, and and chris has uh more time than me you know we didn't get in this job to get rich right you know you know when i first started in new haven i think our base salary was thirty-two thousand. 000. so I, I understand that this wasn't going to be you know some some position where it was I'm going to make. I'm going to be a millionaire's salary, right? Um, I did it because I knew that it was going to be rewarding to give back to my community, for which I was born and raised in New Haven. Um, so you know, it, it's 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 definitely been a, a a a journey that's changed throughout my tenure as a police officer and even my tenure as a union representative. Um, um, so so going, you know,
0: going based on that, just real quick, a, a quick uh, thought that I had. How has, um, do you think that social media has made it harder to be a cop? And if so, how? Because it kind of goes into that accountability and always being, you know, now everybody's a journalist, you know, whether you're a, an actual journalist or some 16-year-old on, on the side of the road with your iPhone. Everybody's a journalist. Everybody has a camera. Everybody has a Facebook and Instagram. So has... Is it a, is it both that you know, is it two things? Is it good and bad social media for policing? How do you look at that?
1: I think in in terms of. And I know that many police departments um, throughout the state and, I'm, and I know, you know, throughout the country, they use social media in a sense of, well, you know, now that it's out there. Right you can go back to it, fast forward and wind and use it as training opportunities. to either be able to say to your fellow officers during training, this is what you should do, or this is what you shouldn't do. Or you you pause it at a moment of, well, what do you think this officer's thinking? To do you think this officer did everything proper up until this point, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's easy to, Uh, look at a situation objectively. Um, But when you're in that situation, it's and you have to make a split second decision, it's tough. And sometimes, you know, social media, right, these posts don't depict what actually occurred in the situation, right? You know, a lot of times things are cherry picked to make it look worse than what it actually was, right? And we don't see the full scope of that incident until it's played out in its entirety, right? Whether that's through, you know, you know the courts or things like that, or, you know, or somehow some way a, another video was, you know, miraculously found, right? Um, you know, and big things are body cameras. I mean, you know, we have them in New Haven. I know they have them in Stanford, right? They're huge, right? You know, someone's cell phone, like again, picks up a portion of it, but our body cameras pick it up, pick everything up, you know, And, and it's a good tool to rely on to see what, in fact, that officer was dealing with at that time.
0: Right. Body cameras provide accountability and protection, you know, accountability for the community at large, for the police officers that serve the communities, but also for you guys. You guys are able to, you know, if somebody does say something or present something that's not really factual, a body camera can be used to say hey you know this is this is what really happened um you know so that kind of goes into my next point uh last year connecticut passed a law that they described as concerning police accountability quote unquote uh now that you know it's january 25th that we're recording this january 1st is coming gone have you noticed anything alarming in your communities um maybe in the last year, but especially, specifically since the law was passed?
2: For me, it's been, I'll just say, I don't know if I'm going to use the right word here, but the brazenness to challenge police and their authority and or their decision making, so to speak. Um, In regards to the bill, having influence on that, the bill itself calls for police officers actions on and off duty, can't undermine the trust of the public, right? So all their actions are always held accountable. And that alone by titling it police accountability and all of that undermines the trust of the public because that is sending a statement to the public that nobody trusts us. Nobody thinks we're doing the right thing. So everything we do is questioned. And that kind of tied into your, your previous question of is social media good and bad? I think all of that goes hand in hand with the bill. Um, there are good points and bad points, but they don't help understand the why behind we do certain things, you know, and and the training behind certain things and how you how you are handle certain situations without knowing the rules of engagement that we're allowed to use, not use, uh, following the constitution, following the laws. So these people publish things and put them up on the media, including the bill but they don't understand the why behind any of it, whether it's the training or understand what the law allows you to not do and not do and some of the stuff that is actually in the bill contradicts current law. Right. Whether it be the you know the appointing of an attorney general, um, inspector general and all of that, that could be actually constitutionally um, a violation of the, of the Connecticut state constitution and what's allowed and not allowed and who is allowed to appoint such a position. So a lot of that I think was thrown hastily without knowing the why and fully understanding Everything So it's, it's brought challenges and the fear of distrust amongst police when it, and we get back to that body camera thing where I don't want to quote an exact number, but I guarantee it's 80 or 90% of body camera video proves the officers correct and not wrong.
0: Right. Florencia?
1: Yeah, uh, um, you know, I, I think we have similar issues here in New Haven. Um, no, I've I hear from my rank-and-file members that, you know, I, I'm just trying to do a simple uh, motor vehicle um, stop because a person ran a red light. And, you know, you, you hear, well, why'd you pull me over? You pulled me over because of my skin color. And, and the officer, in this case, happens to be a minority as well. And it's like, well, no, I didn't pull you over because of that. I, because you broke the law and ran through a, tra- a red traffic control signal right? I mean so you know you get you and and automatically you're already put at odds right? And you know you know from what I'm being told the the officers are always cordial, they're always respectful, right? But it's already it's already being placed out there because of the police accountability bill that well well you you did something wrong because you know, there's have to be accountability against you. So therefore, you know, you're doing something in this um, instance where you probably shouldn't be and I'm going to make a complaint. And and you get a lot of that, I think, right off the onset. It it pits us against them and it's not, right? And it shouldn't be, right? It it shouldn't be portrayed as that. And I think a lot of rhetoric is being put out there um, just for that.
0: And isn't it, I mean, when you look at, crime numbers in, say, New York City, you know, it's a stone's throw from southern Connecticut. Do you think that these accountability acts or these laws that are being passed by, um, you know, lawmakers and bureaucrats, do you think that these laws make Connecticut a more attractive place for people to live, raise families? Or do you think that it ultimately ends up making communities maybe not less safe because I don't know if we've seen a huge increase in crime but maybe like Chris was kind of getting at more brazen so less stable you know more
1: sure I, question I think um I think the the bad actors in our in our communities right throughout the state um probably more prevalent in in our larger cities they know this they know that you know especially last summer, you know, cops were timid, you know, not in the actions that they're doing, but but, you know, just the overall feeling of, well, you know what? Do I uh, stop this person from running the red light or do I not? I mean, you know, I'm not mandated to do it. You know, I can stop them, give them a written warning, give them a verbal warning, because anytime you give some type of monetary fine to someone is it is it going to be a big backlash is there going to be you know some retribution where they're going to make a complaint against me to say so that, i was doing that x feeling,
0: that feeling is real on behalf that on feeling
1: the, is very real and and, it, and it's not just and don't take my word from it i mean look at the data that, that's come out right traffic stops throughout the state are down significantly right um through the state police and on down i mean some in some locales is more than half. More than half. I mean, now, no, granted, grant it. You you throw in COVID, sure, and a police accountability bill, and I think it was the perfect storm for yeah. something like. Hundred
2: percent. Um, I I definitely agree with everything Florencio said, and I think the jury's still out though. As to what what it's going to do, what these type of bills will do to Connecticut, what they'll do across the country. Right. I know approximately two weeks or so ago, Illinois passed one that's very similar to ours. Um, I think it's I think the jury's out, and politicians and people that are pro this type of bill um or will come out and go oh the arrest numbers are down so the arrest rate is down and just as Florencio was getting to the arrest numbers are down because the stops are down and and cops are afraid some cops are afraid to do certain things because they don't know what's allowable and what's not right can I stop that guy can I arrest this guy can I give this guy a ticket I don't know what the rules are anymore because nobody else does and this stuff was put together hastily right no police officer in the country anywhere is afraid of of changing stuff or evolving or new rules, as long as it's all done and makes sense. And it's, 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 You can, you can apply certain things. You can understand certain things when the rules are set prior to the law, they came out and just made this law without giving us the rules of engagement, so to speak. So it makes it very wishy-washy. And, and I don't know what it's going to do to communities. People had, you had mass exodus in New York, right? And and house sales in Connecticut went way up. Was that because of the pandemic or was that because of, the police law that they haven't enacted in, in New York yet. Um, but because of the crime rate and everything that was happening there and the way the NYPD felt their hands are tied. I think Lorenzo put it, it perfectly.
0: I think it's a perfect storm. It was just a hundred percent storm so it, 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 of, uh, of consequences this year and that that's what led to it. But I think, you know, just to kind of um, you know, finish us off and and, and tie a bow on it. You, as I mentioned in the opening, you both serve on the executive board of the Police Officers Association of Connecticut, POAC. Uh, Why is it so important, you know, with everything that we've talked about uh, and everything that we've covered, why is it so important to have another voice of collective law enforcement officers in the state right now?
1: I think our collective thought on it is you need a voice at the state capitol to give that knowledge to the to the politicians the legislators who are unfortunately passing bills you know hastily in in our opinion right um, give them some background on why something wouldn't work or something would work right i mean not all things in the in the police accountability bill um, were bad you know like Chris alluded to earlier, listen, police officers, not only in Connecticut, but in the state, I mean, in, in the country, we evolve, right? There's sometimes there's, there's better way of doing things, right? But that's a, that's when all stakeholders come together to come out, to make these, these, these new, uh, uh um, programs and, you know, and to try to help, you know make the job easier so that this this way it's more you that officers more productive in their communities and, and you know things and so forth i mean I, it's 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 tough when you don't have that voice and you get something such as the police accountability bill in connecticut you know which vast majorities of you know not just police unions but you know uh, chiefs of police um, associations i mean many Individual groups were against this bill, um, and and it was a lack of communication um, on one part and one part only, and that's how we felt through this whole process. And I think that you know, uh, with Chris and I being on POAC, we can try to help mend those fences, but also give our opinion, you know, in our in our knowledge to the legislators that we speak to you know, on this bill that was passed last July and, you know, forthcoming bills that may be coming in the future.
2: He said it so well, Florencio, um, Act is put together. Of so some of the larger departments in Connecticut, like New Haven, ourselves, Bridgeport, Waterbury, um, but it also has a numerous amount of small towns, uh, that wouldn't have a voice at the state level and maybe their voice wouldn't be heard. And this way we can all get together because, Connecticut is so very diverse in what we have in city size and small towns and, and we, we absolutely need to get together because policing is the same no matter where you are. We all follow the same rules, the same laws, and we needed a voice at the state level um, because it wasn't being heard as in today's culture and the way it's changed rapid, so rapidly since the Floyd incident. Um, we need to make sure we get our voices heard as well and wanting to work together and the state legislators apparently have isolated us, and that's where social media message has come in and isolated us out to, we don't need to listen to them, we don't want them to talk, we're just going to make the rules and hand it to them, which doesn't make sense. It's just a, it's a more collaborative way to, to get all of us back onto the same page as far as working together, not meaning we have to agree, there are going to be many a times we agree to disagree. But at least we were heard and can make something workable
0: on that note i really want to thank you both for joining us i think this is an important conversation i think it's obviously a conversation that we're going to continue and chris you kind of uh you know brought this up just now i think it would be great to have um that small town perspective on this podcast as well, because I think people just look at, you know, unfortunately, the media covers the cities, you know, big metropolitan areas. I think it would be great to get some perspective on on what it's like to be an officer in a in a small town. So uh, we'll follow up with you on that. But I want to thank you both and uh, have a great week.
2: Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks Francisco. Thank you, Brian. Thank, thank you. you. Thanks, guys.